Six from around the world by showcasing their professions, passions, and perspectives. I'm your host, Mathir Singh, aka the Net Nehung. Why Guruji ka Khalsa? Why Guruji ki Fateh? Just Preet Singh, welcome to the Net Nihangs Arena. Oh, thank you for having me. No, this is awesome. Um, for people who don't know, Just Preet Singh is the, the founder of Minority Mindset. Um, and you have a YouTube channel and a newsletter where you give uh, financial advice. Um, and you talk about all kinds of topics from wealth building to stock market, to real estate, to whatever's going on. And uh, it's an awesome resource. If people aren't already subscribed and watching, they should be. Oh, thank you. No, and it's exciting to have you here. And the reason I thought of you is because of all this stuff going on with GameStop and AMC <laughs> and all these shorting of stocks. What is shorting? What does that even mean? What are hedge yeah. funds and what are the hedge funds doing? But yeah. before we kind of dig into that, let me sure. just give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself, give your background for my audience um, so they can kind of get to know you. And I, I and I really am looking forward to this conversation today. Sure. So uh, like you said, I mean, you hit everything. Uh, my name is Jaspreet Singh. I started a company called Minority Mindset. We are now a financial media company. I never intended to start a financial media company uh, wait, wait, wait hang up. on. What, what is, what does that exactly mean? What is a financial media company? I'm trying to figure that out myself too, <laughs> but that's what people call us. But okay. we, we, we post content on the internet about finance. So I guess media means content and finance is our topic. So by default, we are a financial media company. What does that mean? I don't know exactly, but we're trying to figure that out ourselves. Okay. I'm just uh, guessing that there's maybe some kind of, that's a legal disclosure that you're not a financial advisor. We are not a financial advisor, so okay. that is true. So that is part, part of the reason why. Um, but I kind of got into this really on accident, um, you know, like a lot of Upper Desi people. Uh, my parents told me when I was young to become a doctor and, you know, everything <laughs> else is, you know, no. So, but I, I always had this like entrepreneurial bug. I don't know what it was since I was a kid. Uh, I was like mowing people's lawns when I was 10 years old. I was doing a paper route in elementary school. Then I started playing toll at weddings no. uh, when I was in high school. So, you know, I kind of just always did things uh, outside of kind of, I don't know, normal. Um, and I got into like, finance and investing kind of indirectly because I was making money and didn't know what to do with it. So I started reading books and, you know, I would talk to family like, okay, maybe I should start investing. And they were like, no, don't worry about that. Go become a doctor. And then everything else will just, just, it'll just fall into place. Sure. So that was, you know, kind of my, the way I was kind of 
raised and then I just kind of fell into this money management, investing, entrepreneurship stuff myself. And I, I was so interested in it. It was just like, I don't know, you, when you find something you love, you kind of get obsessed in it. And so I, I really just, I just enjoyed the whole process. And yeah, so now you was, also, you also kind of, you grew up in the Michigan in Michigan, correct? Yeah, yeah. I grew up yeah. in the Michigan area. Okay. And, and so, it, you know, it's just one of those things I enjoyed it. And uh, I was working on another company. I just created the SOC company. As I was launching it, we got scammed by a marketing company. And after Ooh. I got scammed, I was like, okay, what do I do? So then I started this thing called Minority Mindset. Why did I call it Minority Mindset? I honestly don't even remember exactly why. I just know it was like, I had this mindset of thinking differently than the majority of people. But the whole purpose originally was just to help people uh, not get screwed over the way I was when I was starting a business. So I was just- That's really interesting because just to interrupt here, I love the name Minority Mindset because to me, I didn't, I had no idea what your reasoning was. But when I heard that, I, it hit me in two ways. First of all, Minority Mindset being that this is the mindset of minorities- like literally like racial religious minorities that come to America and are looking for opportunities and they have a different way of thinking. And then also people that um, try to build wealth or look at things from an entrepreneurial point of view are also minorities. So it's a minority way of looking at it from the financial mindset. So those two, I thought it was a perfect uh, way to attract uh, the different crowd kind of. Yeah. And that's, you really hit it on the head, especially with the second one. We focus, you know, for us, the minority mindset is all about your mindset. It's all about the way you think. And it's thinking differently than the majority of people, because, you know, we all kind of, especially in the financial side, we grow up learning, go to school, get a job and work. But, But there's so much more that you can do. There's so many more opportunities. Like, there's so much more, especially in the Desi community, because I think we're like very limited in 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 career choices that we're told. You know, it's doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much the extent of it. But there's just so much more, and I think a lot of us, you know, there's so much creativity, there's so much potential, and we lose that when you're told to become a doctor before you're 10 years old. And so, you know, there's just so much opportunity that, you know, you can do whatever you want if you understand money. Like the premise makes sense. You know, our our families come here for a better life because, you know, just get that. And education is, is that kind of route out of poverty. Sure. But, but if you want to do something else and the creativity, if you can take care of yourself financially, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So were you, did you go to school for finance or did no. you also take the typical? Because like I know for me, I was pre-medical. I, then yeah. I was uh, computer science. And then I found it. I got it. I was at Ohio State. So I, I grew up in Ohio. Okay. And then I got a job in Troy as a software engineer. Started working that. Then got laid off in 2003 and fell into oh, real wow. estate. Yeah. And once I got into real estate, it was a game changer for me because now all of a sudden I was doing something that I was very interested in. Um, I I enjoyed it. I was passionate about it. But uh, I was also on that track because my brother's a doctor. All my friends that I grew up with are doctors. They also married doctors. And I also married, (laughs) I married a pharmacist, you know, so a lot, you know, a lot of those 
uh, pressures from like immigrant families, the Indian families, particularly, uh, I, I lived through it too. And I was kind of the black sheep of the family by yeah. not going that route. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about you? Exactly. How, so what were you, what did you do? Uh, so yeah, I went to college thinking I was going to be a doctor. So I, I, uh, I went to university of Michigan and I majored in uh, psychology. It was called biopsychology, cognition and neuroscience. And the picked I picked this one because it has the coolest sounding name and the <laughs> easiest classes. So, uh, I didn't honestly learn too much. It was a subset of psychology. I don't even remember what I learned, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and then I went to law school because I graduated college and mom and dad were like, you know, you cannot not have a professional degree. So then I went to law school and became an attorney. But uh, as I went to law school, I also was kind of building my businesses full time because I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So during the second half of my law school career, I actually went part time in school so I could focus more on uh, business oh, and wow. everything I was doing. So, yeah, everything that I learned in the financial space was not um, kind of your typical education. It was kind of just through doing reading, learning, meeting people, and just uh, doing was the biggest thing for me. Experience, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Expensive experiences, making a lot of mistakes. You know, well, you know what? You can say that, but college is expensive too. Uh, graduate yeah. degrees are expensive too, you know. And so I paid for it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think experience is huge. Um, you know, I tell people all, all the time, like, because they're always asking me, you know, they want to start getting into real estate investing. I'm like, yeah. you know what? You just got to buy a house. You just got to buy a house and figure it out. It's the best thing you'll ever do if you want to learn. Yeah, uh, it, it honestly is. I mean, I talked about, even on our channel, I, I talked about my worst real estate deal ever. Yeah, yeah because watch that video. Yeah, I mean, you, you go through one bad deal and you're going to know everything about real estate investing. Like, <laughs> exactly. You, you know, it, it, exactly. It, it's just like when it's when things go right, it's easy. Uh, the tenants paying you and it's yep. simple, but you know, when you, things go wrong, you learn everything all like in, in, in a minute, essentially. So yeah. you just got to go through it. So now when you were building these businesses, you were still in school d d doing your law degree, you started building businesses. Did you ever practice as an attorney then once you got, once you graduated? Uh, no, I never practiced after <laughs> graduating. I did like, you know, whatever you had to do while I was in school, okay. but I never practiced, I never practiced as a traditional attorney. I mean, what the only what I do is, uh, you know, I have a lot of connections with attorneys. Okay. And so I do referrals. Like, yeah. you know, people come to me with uh, business questions, real estate questions. And I'm like, all right, well, let me give you to someone. Let me connect you to somebody who's uh, way better than I am. Right. And so right. <laughs> that, that's what I do. I don't, I don't do any legal work myself. No, that's I don't awesome. think anybody wants me to do their legal work either. You know, I hear that's how Sam Bernstein and them work too. They run these advertisements on TV and they get all these phone calls, but they yeah. don't they don't actually take those cases. They refer them out to other people and collect a referral fee. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what they do. They spend uh Sam Bernstein particularly, I think they spend about $10 million a year in advertising. Wow. Wow. So, they, you so know, they, that, that tells you they're making a lot more than that. If they're willing to yeah, spend that much money. Yeah. I mean, at, at the core, they're a marketing company more <laughs> yes. than an attorney uh, business. I mean, they're, they're just a marketing machine. They, they yeah. drive leads for their attorney business and just refer them out to sell them to other, I mean, not sell them particularly, but essentially to sell them to other law firms. Right. So when, okay. So you never actually practice an attorney, but 
you're developing these businesses. You, you, you talk about your real estate deal. I actually watched the video. I feel like I watched one video years ago about the same house, your first house. Yeah. And then you recently released another video about that yeah. same deal, kind of recapping it and explaining going over. it. Yeah. yeah. You know, so YouTube is weird. I released that video, my worst real estate deal when I sold the property, like the week I was selling it, I recorded mm-hmm. it. And as soon as I sold it, I released the video. And this was like, I think this is 2016. And then okay. YouTube is weird where they just like randomly in 2021 started like really promoting that video again. <laughs> so you had this like random group of audience, like starting to watch this video now and asking all these questions about the video. So I was like, you know, let me like kind of dive a little bit deeper and explain what happened because yeah. there was all these people watching it. So that was what the explanation was for to kind of answer the questions that people that are watching it now were asking. Yeah. And, you know, I'll link to that video in the description uh, when we, when we publish this um, so people can watch it, but can you just briefly just kind of go over what the top view of that deal was and what you learned from it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was my, it was actually my third deal. Um, and this was like right after the real estate crash. And I, I was such a novice. I mean, I had no idea what we were going through. Like, I don't even, I knew we were in a real estate crash, but I didn't yeah. know what that meant because I was like, I was still really young. And um, so I, I did a couple of deals that were really cheap. I mean, there's like under $10,000 properties. Uh, and yeah. uh, I, I essentially, I found this property management company that was not a real property management company. And they connected me to this contractor who was not licensed, but said he was licensed. Uh, contractor was a nice guy. I was working with him for a couple of deals and you know he did work really cheap. He just, he needed work. And then um, he was like, hey, man, you got to start buying properties in Detroit. Because, you, I mean, everyone probably heard you could buy properties in Detroit for a dollar or $5,000. Yeah. I sold, I sold several market. of those. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so he was like, you know, you need to buy some Detroit stuff and you can make a whole bunch of money. And I said, okay, you know, let's do it. Found me this property in a, in a decent area. It was a $17,000 uh, and he was like, you know, don't worry, worry about getting a property inspection. Don't do your own private property inspection. I already went through what I know was fine. Oh, I was geez. like, okay, whatever. Okay. So uh, I did it. I bought it. And um, uh, he wanted $5,000 or $5,500 to do the work. Paid him half. I think it was half. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I paid him a check. And uh, essentially two months go by. He doesn't do anything. And I was like, you know, what's going on? Another couple of months go by. He's like running into his own financial trouble. So he essentially just runs mm-hmm. away. I paid him some money. He doesn't do any work. Now yeah. I'm stuck with this property that, you know, we're, we're, we're months into no work has really started. I had this other kind of deal that I was working on. And there was this guy who was the onsite manager there who was causing issues. And I was like, oh, I started talking to him and he, he was, we had this idea. I was like, you know, why don't you just live in my property? I won't charge you rent but then you don't charge me labor to do the work on the property. Oh, and that's it smart. seemed like a great deal. Yeah. It seemed, you know, I, I've seen it work in, in a lot of instances, but in this situation, it didn't. So I gave this guy a charge, like a home Depot charge uh, thing. I created an account so he could just charge my account. He starts buying all these things. 
I'm thinking he's doing buying these things to do work at my rental property. He's buying these things to do work at other people's properties. So now he's, you know, double dipping oh. on his profits because he's, you know, making money there and and not paying for materials. Yeah, you know what and happens take- with me every time I do that when because we do that too with the Home Depot. Yeah, they have the charge account. The contractors will go. They'll buy the materials for your job, but then they also buy lemonade and snickers bars and, <laughs> and 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 a bunch of other stuff and then you get the receipt and i'm like what is all of this but yeah. then, you know but then if you know if i have to buy you coca-cola and you know whatever just to kind of you know keep things going that's okay but yeah people yeah. will try to sneak stuff in like get something that they need like light bulbs for their house yeah yeah you know, I, i've like seen that, that. I mean, yes. it got your pros and cons. So. Yeah, so so you ran into a little bit of him charging on your account for other jobs he was working on. Yeah, and then he wasn't doing the work, and then essentially, long story short, he destroyed the property. Oh, we had to evict him. The property was in worse shape now a year later than when I bought it, <clears throat> and then get a new contractor in there. Got to start everything over. And now we realize that there's even more issues with the property. We have to redo all the plumbing. We realized that a previous tenant had dumped cement down the oh, main geez. drain, which destroyed the plumbing. We had to redo all that. We had like issue after issue with the city inspector because this is when Detroit was like on the verge of bankruptcy. So, you know, it was just like issue after issue. And then when we finally got the property close to ready, Somebody broke into the property, stole our hot water tank. Oh, we got gosh. fixed that, got a tenant in there. <laughs> The city comes out even after we're licensed for no reason and says that, uh, well, they find out that apparently this tenant is running an illegal babysitting operation. They find us. we got to kick out the tenant. And at that point, uh, I got to sell this property. So that was a, it was a long process, but that's kind of the gist of what happened. I see. But a lot of lessons learned there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You could say that again. So, so then after, after that deal though, did you continue uh, investing in real estate or did you kind of slow that side of, side down a little bit? Cause I noticed um, that your channel focuses a lot more on other financial topics and real estate is just one of them. Yeah. I mean, I still do real estate. I think the only reason maybe why uh, you maybe slowed down is cause I invested more into the business, um, but definitely was still involved in real estate. Uh, and, and actually looking to get more involved this year. Um, but I, I, I didn't do anything in Detroit after that deal. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of our rules. Uh, my partner and I, um, we're, we're pretty much look anywhere, but we won't buy in Detroit. And it's not yeah. that, you know, Detroit, there's a lot of opportunities, but exactly for the reasons you're talking about, we had already known to avoid it because you're going to have problems with people breaking into the property, stealing your, yeah. they just steal the copper. That's what they used to steal is the copper. Yeah. They, I remember that. Yeah. Furnaces. They'll, you know, they'll just rip it all out and just take it with them. Yeah. Um, then, then there was like, okay, get a contractor to stay in the property. Like you're saying um, yeah. and work on it. But even that was trouble. Cause now you got to find a person who's willing to do that. That's trustworthy. Yeah. Um, so we just avoided Detroit and you know, We've been, knock on wood, we've been lucky, um, you know, with most of our investments. We've had some trouble once too. We've learned lessons from, we've had a couple that were a lot of trouble and we learned a lot from them. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's goes back to what we were saying earlier. Um, Real estate is the kind of business that you kind of just got to jump into it and learn as you go. 
Yeah, exactly. I 100% agree with that. I think that really goes for any business though. Like, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I think one of the things like even when we hire people for our team now, it's like, especially when it comes to like marketing, you know, people, when people apply, I will have this marketing degree. I got all this marketing experience. If you come work with us, the first thing we say is you got to forget everything you learned <laughs> and you got to start learning marketing from, uh, you know, a real kind of doing perspective, not a textbook perspective. Yeah. So uh, I know there, I want to get to a lot of things, but you're saying some things are so interesting to me. So marketing wise though, are there, and is there, are there people that you follow that you think really hit? Like, is it Gary V? Is he, is he a guy that you follow to kind of model your marketing? Who's, who's the, who's out there now that's doing it the way you think? It? <sighs> I don't, you know, it's, I don't really follow people like that. You know, I'm kind of weird where I don't really watch YouTubers. I don't really follow other other people. I, I did for a little while and I kind of just like, when you, for me, it's like, I, when you follow other people, you kind of like want to do what they do. Right. So I just like unfollowed everybody and I don't really watch too much of what I, of what other people do. I mean, I look at, I look at good marketing. Like I think good marketing is like when I see an advertisement, it really catches me and makes me want to like, intrigued and makes me want to buy something. And I look at that and I look at what's going on. Like I look at, for example, one of my favorites is Dollar Beard Club. Uh, those yeah. guys, if you've ever seen their advertisements, yeah. it's just so bold and this, they, they speak exactly to their audience. And it's, it's just so fun to watch. It's like something that you've never seen before. And so that, that inspires me because it's like, they did something that no one's ever done and they're yeah. crushing it and it makes me want to buy their stuff. So it's like, that's, that's what I like. So interesting. So your marketing um, advice is basically the same as the real estate advice. You got to forget kind of what you learn, jump into it and start doing it and figure out what's working. And if you see something you like, yeah. analyze it and break it down why you think it's working instead of yeah. emulating it or copying it. One of, Yeah. One of the core values we have in our company, we just created core values. And one of them that we, is like a kind of a real defining point of us is uh, crazy is good. And, and with everything we do is it's, it's, how do we be crazy? And when I say crazy, it's, it's not just, it's, it's just being different. Like something that's no one's seen before. Don't be, don't be vanilla, be something like out there. Don't, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, how do you shake things up? Yeah. You know, but that's kind of hard to do. Right. Cause it, 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 if you're not comfortable, it can be, it, you got to have that I don't know. I find it even like with this podcast, I find it difficult sometimes to promote it because you, you're putting yourself out there. You're, you're, yeah. you know, people are going to criticize you and make fun of you and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm sure a, a lot of my, my listeners may not know. Now you have like a thousand times the followers that I have, <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know but, about all that. but, um, your channel, first of all, you have like over 10,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. I might be even more, I might be way undershooting that, but um, you are out there for every, you have people following you all around the world, even, and people comment on your stuff. And what was interesting to me is because I'm a guy that gets entertained by the comment section. Okay. Yeah. So when yeah. I, I will go to the comment section and I expected to see somebody attacking you, you know, for the way you look, you know, or mistaking you for, you know, Muslim or something and trying to put you down. Yeah. And what I saw is 
almost everybody comments about your content. You actually have, it's almost like the people for, forget what you look like because they're listening to what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange. I mean, it's, it's, I, it's amazing, but it's, it, the way it works is like, uh, anytime a video kind of goes viral on our end, that's when you see the, it gets shown to a new audience. Yeah. And that happens. I know when that happens, but I can look at the comments. As soon as I see the Osama bin Laden, the terrorists yeah. and the ISIS, and when I see that comment, I say, oh, a video is going viral. That's how I know. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and uh, but the cool thing about it, you know, is our audience is amazing. We are, we're actually approaching 900,000 YouTube subscribers. Oh, um, yeah. Sorry. My number is way off. No, you're, that's you're fine. almost at a million. <laughs> yeah. We're, and our audience is, is, is amazing. What I mean by that is like, oh, you know what? Sorry. It was like 10,000 Instagram followers or something. Maybe, maybe yeah, I got, I, I, maybe I got those well, numbers. Sorry. Maybe, but yeah, my personal Instagram is around there. I don't really yeah. promote that, but yeah, when, when, um, people will start saying these racist comments, our own audience will just like, just destroy them. You know how social yeah. media works. There's no, there's no civility. It's just destroying people. And so like one person will say, Oh, who is this terrorist? And then it's just like, boom it's like a whole it's, they're not like like these are just like regular people and they're, yeah, just and they're like, coming to no, your defense he's a sick i'm like that's awesome these people know what a sick is now and they're like just destroying this person uh it's cool to see i'm never a big fan of like you know social media abuse but it's just like it's 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 uh crazy just no I mean, it is it's amazing because and so are you leaving those comments up? Because this is something I've run into too. When I do advertising for real estate um, every once in a while, uh, like similar to what you were saying, you can tell when something's going viral or when it's getting yeah. more exposure, you'll get the comment, one racist comment. Um, and I'm always debating with, do you just delete it and just remove it? So it's not on there. Or do you leave it up and kind of let people interact or try to interact in a nice way? Cause it, it, it really is important for the sick month for people that have the Gursik Surup to put themselves out there and show off their talents and, and their abilities. Because like you said, you will build this community that will come to your defense. Yeah. You know, personally, I think everyone has their own way. Uh, I personally don't delete comments, whether they're supporting or, or disliking me, whether they're racist or they, they criticize. I don't delete any comments. The only comments I delete are the spam when people are trying yeah. to solicit money, uh, like, oh, what's that? This person, I'll show you how to make a million dollars. Those are the only things that we delete. Everything else, okay. um, that's there we, we keep because you know it's it's the we talk, I mean, I talk openly on our channel, you know, I talk about racism, things that sex have experienced. And I think I mean, I don't really do this on purpose. I mean, it honestly, it's just, it's just tedious to delete all those comments because we're large. So we get a lot of those comments. It's just impossible to delete all of them. But I think people start to see it too because they, they see, wow, so people do experience racism. You know, even if you might right. not have ever experienced it in your life, you can see what, you know, I'm just making here free videos. You can watch about, <laughs> you know, investing your money and people will say, oh, I'm not learning from Osama bin Laden. And then, People say, oh, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, it's, it's learn for right. a while or leave. 
Yeah. No, that's that's amazing because I, I I'm uh, I was fascinated when I was looking for it. I was actually searching for those kinds of comments, <laughs> and I very few. And I was like, this this is incredible. I mean, this I've always dreamed of stuff like that, like six being on TV and or whatever and contributing, and people just. Uh, accepting them. Now, same thing with the, that Gurpreet thing that was on American Idol. Yeah, I was surprised, like how much people, you know, support. I, uh, growing up in the '80s and the '90s, going, you know, I was in college yeah. in the '90s, but growing up in the '80s and stuff, um, you know, almost every day at school, I'd be called some kind of name. Gandhi yeah. was the most popular, and I was like, Gandhi, <laughs> of all people. <laughs> Of all the little bald guy, <laughs> I look. You think I look like him? Oh um, man! I I even had a teacher. Teachers would make fun of you, and you just kind of go roll, go with it. You never. Yeah. I never thought to myself, "Oh my god, my teacher's a racist. He hates me." Just called me a towel head, and I just accepted it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you that know? you get used to it after a certain time, amount of time. Right, but the idea that now watching people like you putting content out there and seeing that you've actually won won people over with your abilities with your with your creativity with your content and that that is actually pretty amazing it's crazy that you say that because uh you know I, it's still hard for me to believe that i've done that because I, I i used to dream the same thing like i when i was young i used to be a big fan of wwe back when it was wwf yeah and i remember the rock uh, too, you know, yeah. being, being there and, and they would talk about, you know, the people's elbow. And I was like, man, if only the rock was a Sardar, like, <laughs> or, or like Ben Wallace, there would be like fear the fro. <laughs> oh man. What if he were a bug? We're the fear the bug, you know, just yeah. like, it was just like, there's kind of those, like, uh, what ifs that would be so cool. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so think, your you know, marketing mind was already working back then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was, I was like, man, that would be so cool. If there was a singer doing that. Yeah. Oracle. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, that was one of my frustrations. Like, uh, this shows my nerdiness, but like Star Trek, you know, uh, Khan, uh, the Wrath of Khan from Star Trek, Khan Singh was the character. And if you watch the uh. actual original TV show, when he was on there, he actually had long black hair that he put like in a gut. And, oh, really? Yeah, he's a sick. In the, mo in the character, in the movie and in the show, it's a sick. And uh -huh. even when they drew pictures of him, there's a girl on the Starship Enterprise drawing a picture. She drew him with his buggery on. And wow. he was a Sikh that conquered Asia, but he was genetically modified, right? He conquered Asia. Well, his, his name was Khan Singh, and he was a Sikh character, but he wasn't portrayed that way. Like in the movies, he's, a, you know, Ricardo Maltabon is playing Khan Singh, and he, he doesn't have a beard, and he doesn't have a bug on but he's Khan Singh. And I always thought, God, it would be so amazing. Same thing. Nemo, Captain Nemo is a Sikh. He's a Nihang Singh in the original book by Jules Verne or whatever. Captain Nemo is a Sikh. He's a Nihang Singh. Um, you know, I didn't know who Captain Nemo was until people started commenting. Hey, you look like Captain Nemo, Captain Nemo. And I was like, I, the only Nemo I knew was Nemo the fish. Yeah. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? So then yeah. I started looking up Captain Nemo. So I have yeah. an idea. Yeah. It's a, so Nemo the fish is named after Captain Nemo. And, no. You know, like these are, all, these are all the connections, but I would think the same thing. Like, God, wouldn't it have been so cool if these characters were actually portrayed as six? And yeah. I think, I think maybe things will change now, but I think we're heading towards that direction. At least I hope. Well, Jinder Mal was. 
oh, WWE champion. Jinder Mahal was yeah. a, my man. I couldn't believe it. I'm gonna. I'm like, oh my god, they, that wouldn't have happened in the '80s. Iron Sheik was the bad guy. Jinder Mahal would have been the bad guy. <laughs> Jinder Mahal, when he came to Rise, I was like, I was so happy. I woke up every morning just like thinking of Jinder Mahal. <laughs> I bought his apparel when he had the Jabby prison match. I had the biggest party. That was the first time I ever bought pay-per-view. That was, oh my God, like my house exploded yeah, when that Jabby yeah. prison match happened. Yeah, I mean things are changing. Arjun Pulitzer is a UFC fighter. Yeah, Arjun um, Pulitzer is he's, he's 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 a G. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's really th- great, and it's good to see at times, you know, kind of catching up. Yeah. But uh, okay, getting back to your story. Um, so at some point though, uh, after this real estate investment, you were going to get in this uh, marketing thing going. You started cranking out videos. I mean, and and you have a lot of video. I don't even know how many videos you have out. There. I don't. I don't think I know either. It's, it's more of somewhere in the hundreds. I don't know how many. Yeah, um, but you're you're getting all this traction, and what I start hearing is like you're talking about like what what is actually saving money, and is it worth it to save it or should you invest it? You know, and all of these are amazing points, but the thing that really uh, you know, got me to think, okay, we got to get just breathing on um, is all of this stuff going on with the stock market and, and the shorting and all this stuff. So oh, yeah. watch, explain a couple of things first. Let's start with the hedge funds. What is a hedge fund and what, what do they typically do that started all of this? But what is a hedge fund and what do, how do they invest? Hedge funds are just big money managers. They they just have a lot of cash. And hedge funds can be created in a few ways. You have some hedge funds that are essentially private wealth management funds where you have this really, really wealthy person. They have billions of dollars. And if they're they're a stock market person, then they create a hedge fund to essentially create a loophole for them to manage and invest their own money and get tax breaks or whatever. Other hedge funds, they have other investors' money. And so hedge funds are essentially these, you think I'm almost like banks. They, they just have access to huge sums, almost unlimited sums of money. And if it's not their own money, they use debt. So they just have they just have unlimited money. They right. big, big, big money hubs. Yeah, we're talking and, like they're they're investing hundreds of millions or even billions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Big, hundreds of big millions numbers. Billions. Yeah, yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Like, like insane like the way these hedge funds make money they just they just charge a percentage off of their fee of their assets and then they take a percentage of the profits so like you know for them it's just a numbers game how much money can we can we get under our management um that we yeah so like if you're managing a hundred million dollars and you only charge a one percent fee you're making a million dollars a year just managing somebody else's money yeah, and that that's like small time. That's small so, time, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so you think of a hedge fund just as a big money manager, and when you have that type of buying power, you're naturally just, you know, you you have a lot of influence. You yeah. know, think of it like Warren Buffett, right? If Warren Buffett goes out, well, I'll give you a real example. Earlier, I believe this is 2020. Uh, he came out and he said he was buying uh, shares in a gold mining company. Okay. And as soon as he did that, or as soon as that was announced, that gold mining company shot up like 12% because okay. everybody who is 
uh, what they call a value investor, which is what the type of investing Warren Buffett does. Everybody that follows Warren Buffett is like, oh, Warren Buffett's doing this. So let me follow him. So you saw this huge flow of money doing whatever it, you know he's doing. Right. So hedge funds, you know, they kind of have the same influence where it's like they're just big sums of capital and they can move markets essentially because they have all that money. And so the issue, kind of the whole drama is is like hedge funds because they're so, you know, it kind of goes into the the too big to fail model. You know, well, banks, you hear about banks all the time. When the 2008 yeah. crash happened, these banks were going underwater because they were making risky investments. And hedge funds, you know, some of them, they invest outside of stocks too. But, you know, when these banks make risky investments and they start losing money, it's very hard for them to actually lose money because these banks and what they do, they can buy insurance on their investments. These aren't things that regular people can buy. So if they start losing money, they can go to their insurance. And so what happened in 2008? That was like AIG. AIG was an insurance yeah, company. Yeah. And then the insurance company almost goes bankrupt and the right. whole system fails. Um, but so you have these banks that are just, they control everything. And then when they make these risky investments and things fail, they get bailed out. And who bails them out? The government. Where does the government get the money? Taxpayers, Taxpayers. regular people, you. Right. And so in 2008, you know, banks got a multi-billion dollar bailout for making risky investments and they didn't have to pay the price while people who had money in their retirement account, retirement accounts, the 401ks, they saw their accounts get cut in half. And if they sold, they lost and right. they, didn't, they didn't get anything. Same thing happened in 2020. I mean, we saw a stock market crash. We saw an insane bailout. I mean, we saw the Federal Reserve come in and just for the first time start buying corporate bond funds. So they were just injecting hundreds of billions of dollars into the market. They essentially said that they will inject an unlimited amount of money into the markets. And the way they do that is by throwing their money into these into these securities, these bonds, which are held by private institutions, so banks. So the, the, it's, it's an indirect way for money to be printed and be given directly to Wall Street. And Right, because even when they give it to the the banks, the, what the banks do with money that they hold is they don't actually hold it in the bank, all this money that everybody's depositing there. The banks take all this money and invest it. Because yeah. banks can be both. They can be investment banks and regular banks now. Ever since 2008, they kind of changed the rules or whatever. So they're taking all this money and they go invest it. Yeah, so they're, you know, and, and so they got bailed out. The people that sold, lost, and, you know, a lot of people saw their accounts get wiped out. I mean, there's a countless stories of people who've been building their 401ks for 20 years, 25 years, they sold it at the bottom of the crash and lost mm. half of their right. retirement savings. You know, what do they get? They get nothing, but then the banks get bailed out, even though they may have made risky investments in the sense that they don't have cash reserves to protect them. And so there's, there's all, I mean, there's always been a resentment towards wall street. There's always been that resentment towards these big banks because no matter how risky they're incentivized to take risk because the more risk you take, the better returns you get. And if you fail, 
you get build out. So yeah, and not to get too lost in the weeds here, but one of the things in 2008 was these banks were taking, making these risky investments with these mortgage-backed securities. Basically, they were bundling bad loans together and then betting that that package would do well. And one of the things that the hedge funds did, and really when hedge funds took off is uh, you had some hedge funds that started betting against the banks, that they predicted that the banks were going to lose money. These these loans were going to collapse and fail. And when they did, the hedge funds ended up making a ton of money because the odds were against it. So, uh, you know, they could invest a hundred million dollars and they might make, you know, a billion dollars or whatever off of that bet. Something like that. Correct. Is that could yeah, be to sum it up? Yeah. So that, that, that was the shorting game. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, some people start to have issues. I mean, obviously the big short really popularized some people going against the grain and kind of like building that resentment towards banks. But the second issue behind shorting is it's, it's, they're betting against their own economy. When you short, yeah. you're betting on something going down, right? When you, when you or I invest money, we want whatever we buy to become more valuable. We want to create more value right. and we want to see the investment go up. When you short, you're betting against it and you want it to fail or right. get very close to fail before you you know ultimately close your position. That way you can make money because when you short, you make money when it goes down. And so- Yeah, so maybe, maybe just to explain that for a second, because this is what I learned this from your video. <laughs> um, so what is short? Shorting would be, um, I am a hedge fund. I'm going yeah. to borrow the shares from- a broker like at a hundred dollars a share because I yeah. know this company is going to fail because I'm betting it's going to fail. So I borrow the shares that are worth a hundred dollars. I quickly sell them. And then the money I get from selling those shares, when the share drops to $80, I go buy the shares back and then I return them to you. And I just made $20 a share. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's really hard to conceptualize and to keep it, you know, without trying to get too complex into it, you sell before you buy. And okay. so if, if we talk about there's a stock trading at hundred dollars a share, if I short it, I don't own the shares. I borrow them and I sell them. So I sell them at hundred. And if it comes down to 80, that's when I buy. So I bought it at 80, sold it at hundred, made a $20 profit. I just did it in an inverse order where I sold first. Yes. So that's the whole idea behind shorting. And and but in the meantime, the company the that those shares of that com that company that's those shares are of that company is failing. That's why you're making money. So there already there, there's kind of like a weird immoral situation. Like it seems odd or immoral to be able to profit off of something failing. Yeah. And, and well, yeah. And this is where people have their other issues. The wall street is, is should shorting be legal, but that's a whole different argument. Yeah. And whether, I mean, that's like, that's up to the sec and now shorting is legal. So yeah. is it immoral? Well, it's legal. So I guess in you know, wall street morals don't matter. It's, it's the profits that they're looking at. So we're looking at making money. So hedge funds say, let's, let's try to, let's try to drive this company to the ground. 
but a lot of short position, meaning a lot of selling because a stock's price is determined by supply and demand. When you have more buyers, a stock price is going to go up because now the buyers are going to bid against each other to push a price up. When you have more sellers, the stock price is going to go down because now the sellers have to fight against each other by cutting prices to get someone to buy their shares. And so when you have a lot of people shorting, it puts downward pressure on the stock because when you create a short position, there's a, a sell, there's a sale happening. Right. And so when you have a hedge fund doing a short, now we're talking about millions, if not billions of dollars worth of selling of shares, which pushes the price of a stock or whatever the investment is down. And this is what really kind of <laughs> what happened with the whole Wall Street bets and their GameStop and the whole kind of hedge funds versus regular people, retail traders was people on Wall Street bets. So Wall Street bets was a forum. It's a Reddit forum. It's an open source forum where people can uh, talk about whatever. So Wall Street bets is particular about investing in stocks. Right. And some people went out there and they said, "Hey, this GameStop stock." is heavily shorted. 140% of its shares are shorted. And this is really hard to conceptualize. I mean, even I don't can't really imagine what that means, but it means that more of the shares are sold than the actual number of shares out there. Now, this is typically not supposed to happen. It's actually right. kind of illegal, but it kind of it slid through the cracks, essentially. Okay. And so... The GameStop stock was just tanked because everybody's selling the stock. I mean, there's more people selling the stock than even shares there are because of all their short position. But now people started buying it and they started posting this because they said, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to try to increase the number of buyers by buying the stock. Because if I can push the stock price up, these people that are shorting it, these hedge funds could hypothetically be forced to buy their shares because if the stock price goes up, they're going to start losing money. And in a short, when you're shorting, you can lose an unlimited amount of money because if I go and invest in, let's say Amazon, and I invest $1,000 into the Amazon company, and I'm not shorting it, I'm investing in it okay. like normal, the most I can lose is $1,000. 1000 okay. Because the stock can only go to zero. But if I short it, if I short Amazon, there's no limit to how much I can lose because I lose money when the stock goes up when I'm shorting. So it can go, can go if, the more it goes up, it keeps going up, keeps going up. I'm losing because that short actually has a time limit on it. Also, that when they borrow the shares to sell them as it goes down, there's a time limit. And if it doesn't go down in that time, if it keeps going up, the sale executes. And now I owe money. So I'm yeah. looking money. And, and and what can also happen is if the price goes up significantly, then your broker is gonna say, Hey, you're down a million dollars or ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, depending on the size. You need to pay us some money because we're not gonna keep this position where you're going to lose an infinite amount of money and then you're not going to be able to pay. And then we, the broker are going to lose. So you got to pay money. And so when that starts happening, when your broker starts calling for money, then a lot of people start closing the positions. And so if you're shorting them, you're buying. And so now if you own a lot of shares and the stock price goes up and you start losing money, you can either pay up or you can say, all right, I'm going to cut my losses and I'm going to buy. Now, when you buy, 
That means more buyers enter the market and supply and demand, more buyers push the stock price up. And so that was the goal. You know, people who were on Reddit were talking about it. They said, you know, I'm going to start buying this because uh, this is what I believe. And so it's pretty sophisticated analysis. This isn't like some, you know, random thing that someone just thought, oh, I'm just going to buy this random stock because it's, I like video games. It was actually sophisticated analysis. And people started reading the forum. They're like, hey, that's a pretty good thought. And they started buying it. And then slowly people started to catch on and more and more people started to buy. And then it started to get viral. And then you had like this whole media frenzy about people buying GameStop. And when it started to go up, that's when the hedge funds started losing money. Hmm. And when these hedge funds started losing money, they were like, okay, what do we do? Do we sell or do we buy? I mean, do we close our short position or do we just keep paying money now because now we're losing money? And that's when it got crazy because the retail traders started winning. I mean, the hedge funds were losing money to regular people and hedge funds, some hedge funds were like Melvin Capital is this big hedge fund. They they almost went bankrupt because the stock went up so much. And so they actually got bailed out by a couple other hedge funds. But now these hedge funds that were shorting were forced to buy the stock and this pushed the stock through the roof. I mean, that's why you saw the 1,700% gain. Yeah, I saw somebody went from $50,000 to $50 million in value of the stocks they, were, they bought. That's insane. It is, it's absolutely insane. And, and that's, this is called a short squeeze, this, I mean, yeah, which is what shorts, it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because you're squeezing the person making the short. Yes. And it's not the first time this has happened in history. Oh, but it's okay. the first time it's ever happened by regular people. Like I see. hedge funds, this, the reason that I, I, I was really kind of, uh, I don't know what the word, but I was kind of upset when uh, brokerages started regulating traders because obviously there's risk involved. And I think everybody, well, okay. So, so let's, let me talk about this real quick because there was two types of people that were making the trades. You had... Yeah, one type of people on Wall Street bets that were, you know, you're kind of more sophisticated people. They understood what was going on, or they were trying to stick it to the man. They were trying to stick it to Wall Street. So they were this is their middle finger to Wall Street. Those are people, you know, these are their initial buyers. And then you had some people that were trying to just get rich quick. They're like, oh my God, the right. stock is going up, it's gonna go up forever, and we're gonna make a lot of money. Now, the whole idea of a free market is you are able to invest and make a risky investing decision if you want. I mean, maybe it's not the best decision for you, but you should have that right. And then brokerages started regulating the traders like Robinhood and all these apps started shutting people down. And obviously they had their own kind of issues, financial issues, but, but at the core, the thing that everyone had an issue with was, why are you a brokerage telling me what's right for me? And so it's, we are beating right. the hedge funds in their own game. And now the brokerage is shutting us down because of whatever. And so people had a real issue because hedge funds have been able to create these exact same short squeezes for decades. Like the most popular yeah, Nobody one, stopped them. Nobody stopped them. It was, it was encouraged. I mean, this is the beauty of a free market is you can make money either way. And uh, back in 2008, I mean, th- this was the one of the most crazy ones. 
you had Volkswagen. This is like after, right after GM uh, declared bankruptcy, Chrysler was on the verge of bankruptcy. This is like the auto industry is absolutely collapsing. Yeah. So now it's like, all right, Volkswagen is next. And Volkswagen has a ton of short pressure. Volkswagen is like, uh, they're talking about you know, potentially failing. And so there's, it's like a no brainer to short them. And so you had all this short pressure. And then uh, Porsche comes out actually. And they were the first ones to be like, wait, oh, Volkswagen is like, has all this short pressure. Maybe they'll be able to survive. Let's start buying the stock and start pushing the stock up. So Porsche comes out and they started buying the Volkswagen stock. Mm. And then this, that was the thing that triggered the short squeeze. And then all of a sudden Volkswagen went from the verge of like the stock going to nothing to skyrocketing. And for a very brief period of time, Volkswagen became the most valuable company in the world based on market cap, based on the actual valuation of the company, just because of the short squeeze, because now Porsche came in, they started buying, and then all these these hedge funds and and money managers started buying the stock, and the stock shot up, and all the people that were shorting lost money, but no one cared then. That was the beauty of the free market when it happened in 2008, when the hedge funds got to make money. But now in 2020, when regular people were doing it, they were getting shut down by brokerages, and that's where the issue was, is how come... How come they can do it and we can't? Yeah, you know, part of, I, and I'm not sure that I read this correctly. I might have just read a headline and assumed the story. Uh, but um, like Robinhood um, made some kind of statement that um, th- a lot of these financial institutions are their clients and they yeah. have a fiduciary responsibility to protect their clients. So, um, well, kind of indirectly. So the way Robinhood works, so Robinhood is a commission-free brokerage. Okay. The way they make money is when, when you or I go and buy a stock on Robinhood, Robinhood takes that trade and they sell it to a what's called a, a moneymaker, a, a, kind of a, a third party, market okay. mover. Um, and this third party then creates a trade and kind of makes makes a little bit of money on the spread. So one of the, Robinhood's biggest client to do that is a company called Citadel. Citadel is this big fund. And so <laughs> what happened was this is kind of the issue is, is Melvin Capital, the company that I talked about that was losing yeah. all the money on GameStop. Yeah. Melvin Capital was on the verge of bankruptcy. They had lost 50% of their assets through this short uh, in like three days. And when I say 50% of the assets, I don't just mean in GameStop. I mean, the entire fund's assets under management, half of it disappeared in in three days or so. And so they got bailed out by um, a couple funds, one of them of which is Citadel. So Citadel buys uh, Melville Capital Management, but Citadel is also the biggest partner for Robinhood, uh, making the most money off of Robinhood. And so there's this whole kind of, Wait, this this seems like a, it's a conflict, conflict of interest here. Yeah. So that was that dilemma, and you know the thing I I had an issue with because you know Robin Hood says we we cannot allow people to make trades because we don't have the funds because everybody was doing it on margin, meaning they were they were borrowing money, yeah. and if if things went bad, then Robin Hood wouldn't be able to cover those losses, but. The people that were restricted trading weren't just the margin traders. I mean, if, if you were buying the stock with your own money, without any debt, yeah. you were stopped as well. And so it's, it's 
there's more to the story that we don't know. And they're playing a PR game because if they, if they, if they, if they say something wrong, they're all, they're, I mean, the Robin Hood is supposed to be the app for people. And so they're doing everything they can to try to keep their image clean. Because if things come out that they didn't do that, then people are going to leave. Right. And so right. Th- that's, that's the issue. Yeah. I mean, uh, in Robin Hood and there, there are other apps too. They have, they have made it very easy for the regular person to invest. Yeah. Right. So they are, there is a great service that's being provided there that you can, you can invest with a little, little bit of money. You can kind of learn how to invest. You can yeah. do it rather easily. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's this great platform, but then when the regular person who doesn't have a lot, or maybe we have a little bit, but we're trying to do the same things that the big players are doing, it gets shut down and then we're, we're kind of stopped. Yeah, exactly. And, and, that, that's that's so that's what do you exactly. think do you think there's going to be any kind of like legal fallout from all of this do you think that they'll change the laws or change the rules or do anything uh you know i don't know robin hood's been sued by a few comp a few people i believe a few class action lawsuits what's going to come out of it uh, it's hard to say. I don't think people are going to get any money out of it. Uh, I mean, lawsuits take years to process. The SEC came out. They said they're going to protect retail traders. What does that mean? Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Especially now, because I think the news yesterday and today is GameStop is crashing, which I kept saying that to people before I go, even if you play the game that everybody's playing at some point, because it's a failing company. At some point, everybody's going to lose their. Whoever's left is going to lose their money. At some point, it was going. It wasn't forever. Yeah, it's a bubble. I mean, it's yeah. a bubble. That's, that's what that's what these short squeezes are. You you essentially create a short term bubble. You cause it to rally up, make your money and sell, and then it crashes back down. The difference here, I think, is kind of the 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 mentality is more of more than making money, the people that were kind of involved in this, especially the Wall Street bets, the core community, this was their way to stick it to the man. Yeah. And so people don't care about making money. They don't care if they lose. They just want to, they just want to make their point heard. Yeah. Everybody was saying buy and hold the idea is to screw over the hedge funds. Yes. That, 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 that was the whole idea. Just buy and hold, buy and hold. Don't worry about where the stock is at. We just got to do it long enough that the yeah. hedge funds lose the money. And then we kind of stuck it to them. Yeah. And so, you know, from a financial perspective as an investor, not a good idea, but <laughs> right. from, from a more uh, kind of a stubborn, just uh, kind maybe of- You could call it activist, maybe- st- Activism, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a donation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to look so, at it. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, what is, your, what is your goal? So, you know, um, talking about that a little bit, what what is your perspective Siki wise on not just things like this we can talk about shorting and 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 some of these things but stock market maybe maybe it's day trading or maybe it's mutual funds and their quote unquote sin stocks you know like cigarette companies and like what are what do you think Siki wise about investing you know how should we approach it as six 
Well, I don't want to give anybody advice. I don't think I'm a, I'm an expert to say how how we should approach it, but I can give you my thoughts on it. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Because for me, I don't invest in things that I don't believe in, and and okay. I think that kind of and a lot of what I believe ties into Sikhi. Like I don't I don't invest in any tobacco companies. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, they can make a lot of money. It's just, so, it's just so not you, something I want to support. But, but would you invest in a fund that has a tobacco company in the fund? Well, or do it, you avoid that too? Do you research and avoid so it? So when I, I'm not invested in too many funds, but I haven't thought about that. I mean, if you're investing in a fund, if a tobacco company is 1% of the fund, I don't think it's too big of a deal. But if it, I mean, like, because... It just depends on what the fund is. What is this fund for? Is it like a a fintech fund where a tobacco company somehow snuck in, or is this an S and P five hundred fund where a company, a tobacco company, snuck into the top five hundred companies in the S and P? Yeah, you know, I mean, so maybe I mean, maybe it's not tobacco. Maybe it's Gillette. You know, they're yeah, selling I mean, razors. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, like you could bring a lot of different things in. Uh, you know, I think it's what's the purpose of the fund? You know, is, okay. is this a gaming and you know drug fund, which I'm sure there are out there. Um, I'm not sure what they are, but I'm sure there is. That's I think compare that to investing in a fintech fund yeah. or investing in a fund that gives the exposure to the S and P 500. Uh, I mean, I don't think you can completely be immune to it in that sense. I never, you know, I never even thought of it like that, but I don't go out of my way to try to invest in these companies. Like even the cannabis, I stayed away from all of the cannabis Oh, okay. um, just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe as six, we need to be conscientious about how we invest and we all may have a different line. We might have a different line where we establish it. Yeah, and I think you know this is this is an individual question. You know, I I always like to play devil's advocate with myself, sure. Because if if you as a sick, you understand your morals, and I mean, I'm not saying this is right, just playing the the game. If you can go and make, let's say, a million dollars off of the cannabis fund, and you can take this million dollars and go do seva with it, and go sure. do something better with it, yeah. you know, now is that is that bad? So it's it's. Or, or, you know, whatever the company is, you can replace cannabis with whatever X, Y, Z. So, yeah, I I think you got to, you and there's, there's, there's a little bit of room for uh, subjectivity there. And what, what do you believe? I mean, I don't know. I I don't, I I don't want to say what's right, what's wrong, because I don't think I know what's right or what's wrong. And I'm sure my opinions will change over time. Sure. But you, but, but you have also drawn your own line. I have drawn my own yeah, lines. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and if you, if someone has a different line, you know, that's, I think that's good for right. you. I, I right. just don't, I don't know. Right. What do you think about like, uh, uh, day trading or may, maybe not, maybe day trading isn't even the right, but like treating as a sick gambling in the stock market versus investing. Do you have a way that you distinguish that in your mind? I don't think people go into the stock market thinking it's gambling because even day trading people go on with a strategy. I mean, I think day trading. Well, you is, go to the, you go to the poker table with a strategy too. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think day trading is a little bit different because 
people who are day traders, you're typically coming in with, you know, you're trying to do some sort of technical analysis. Okay. Well, what justifies this? I mean, you're, you're, you're going there not with the purpose of gambling. I, I don't know. I've never thought about it. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't know. I've never thought of it as gambling. I mean, is day trading more like gambling than investing long-term? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm, I'm not a fan of day trading. I don't do day trading. Yeah. I tried it. It's, it's not for me, but you know, some people who can figure out how to do it can do it very successfully. I, I don't promote it. I don't like day trading, but now is it gambling? Uh, as a sick, I don't know. I, 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 that's a good question. Yeah. You know, I had a hard, I, I've never been able to invest in the stock market properly. Yeah. I'm not good at it. I, I, I feel like I overanalyze things. Um, you know, like even, even friends of mine, they seem to do it so easily. And I feel like it's so much to think about so much to worry about. <clears throat> it's just, it's just not for my, my personality. Now, real estate I get yeah. it. I, I, everything I got is in real estate, you know, and, and I'm flipping houses. I got two houses I'm doing in New Jersey. I got yeah. one. I just finished here. I'm looking for more. I'm looking, you know, like my mind works with real estate. I get it. But so like, would you consider flipping real estate gambling? <laughs> well, I will say this. There is a way in real estate that you could gamble it. Now I'm using the word flipping with you. But my partner and I, we actually don't even use the word flipping. We always call it rehabbing because uh -huh. we actually buy a house. We take it from the condition it's in and fix it. And we fix it nice. We're putting in yeah. granite. We're putting in new yeah. cabinets, new floors. We so make them really it. nice. We're renovating adding value. it, adding value, and then selling it for a profit. And even then, uh, my partner, Chuck, he, he always says, uh, what is it? Pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Yeah. Fizzy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and he's always like, don't be greedy. It, let's, we knew what our numbers were going into it. Let's stick to our numbers. If we do better, fine, but try not to be greedy about it, you know, stick yeah. to the numbers. So, but you know, there's another side of it where almost like you were talking about uh, the shorts, you know, where you're selling before you buy. Yeah. Um, if you have a deal you're putting together, you can flip the paper. And if you have a title company you work with, you can actually arrange it to close on the property that you're as your sell as the, with, with the buyer that you're the seller. And then right after that, close with the seller when you're the buyer, because the money, yeah. the money comes in, it sits in the title company's escrow account and then goes out for you to purchase it. And you just make the spread in between. In yeah. some States, I think it's even illegal to do that. Is that you talking about wholesaling? It's but this is wholesaling, but you're doing a, 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 a flipped closing. I see. Okay. Cause you're closing on the same day. You just flip your closings. Hmm. Okay. Cause then I don't ever have to come up with the money. Now wholesaling can also work like this. I get the, property under contract, I go find a buyer for it and I'm assigning my contract to them for a fee. Mm -hmm. So now they're just buying, they're the, they're the actual end buyer and I'm collecting yeah. an assignment fee. So you can wholesale that way. I can also yeah. wholesale and I just buy the property, put my money up, buy the property, and then go buy another 
buyer before and not do any work to it and just sell it. That's also wholesaling. So you can, those three different ways you can wholesale. But, uh, you know, I think the first way I described where you're kind of flipping the closings and you're doing that, that is a little bit like gambling to me. Um, I think it feels a little bit like a little scammy, <laughs> uh, you know, even, even if it's legal, I'm not, I'm not trying to get too much into that, but I think it depends on what, what is your focus? And, you know, Gravani tells us our, our mind should be attached to Waiguru. We should be remembering Waiguru's name, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing, you can, whatever you're doing all day, if you can do it now, if, we're obsessed with money all the time. If we're obsessed with the real estate all the time and we're obsessed with the stock market all the time, then obviously we're not doing what the guru is telling us to do mm-hmm. regardless of how you're transacting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's that. Yeah. That goes down to your personal, you know, what is your, right? What is right. your honest way of earning a living? Now, some people will do that through, marketing some people do that through the labor some people do that through services some people will you know do that through whatever yeah and you know and that that yeah i think you're right it's, it's very important to you to be be aware of yourself what 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 is where is your mind when you do this how, how is it kind of working yeah and i think uh even just at a very basic level if if our thoughts are revolving around you know why guru's name Anam, we're revolving our thoughts around that. There may be some guilt or there may be some reluctance to be tricky, right? Yeah. To be be clever. Yeah, I agree. You know, so these kinds of checks can definitely be in place. But I always find it fascinating uh, to talk to people about, especially people that have some insight into investing and in the stock market, especially, I always find it interesting to kind of work through some of those things because I struggle with a lot of that myself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we have mutual funds and I think about that sometimes I'm like, you know, there's a lot of companies in there that uh, you kind of anti-sick, you could say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. how do I feel about contributing to that? Um, but then, you know, these arguments exist around, like sometimes people argue about gas stations and convenience stores. You're selling cigarettes, you're selling alcohol, you're doing yeah. these kinds of things, you know? And, and I think everybody just has to come up with their own personal line, how they define Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I know some people, Gursik families that own gas stations and, and they tried uh, to not sell cigarettes because, you know, they don't believe in it, but then th- their business uh, was on yeah, the, the verge of failure. The gas business goes away. Yeah. Right? You, you lose the business. Coming. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, you know, they had to bring it back and yeah, they, it's, I, that's a tough, you know, you gotta, you gotta know yourself and, it's it's that's a tough question to answer and i think there's a lot of individualism involved in that kind of yeah. figuring your, knowing yourself yeah yeah definitely um look hey i really appreciate the time you know we've got over an hour in already wow uh, yeah i i really appreciate you coming on and kind of talking about all this and explaining it i know a lot of us are chatting and talking about on social media and none of us actually know what we're talking about. (laughs) So we're all out there debating what to do or getting excited about stuff. But I think it's really helpful to understand how these things work because as six, we have to make sure that we're making 
our own personal decision about what we're comfortable with. You can only yeah. do that if you understand how these kinds of things work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Jaspreet Singh. I appreciate you coming on the Net Nihangs Arena. And uh, I, it's an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back uh, and talk about you. anything. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this talk. Yeah, I did too, very much. And, and like I said, anytime on any topic, let's do it again. Sounds good. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Why Guruji Ka Khalsa? Why Guruji Ka Khalsa? Why Guruji Ka Khalsa?